Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 295, air date May 11th, 2018. So what I thought I would do is I thought I'd give you a little bit of background for some of you who don't know who I am uh, in the setting of me coming to the process of what I call immigration, education, and innovation. Those are sort of the three processes that I went through. And in fact, I think that's sort of the American uh, journey. Most of us have gone through if we've forgotten about it, but we should remind ourselves. We all came from some process of immigration, we went through some process of education, and we've all contributed to this economy. Um, and then I want to talk a little bit, a little more uh, uh, about what I call the deep state. You've heard that term, right? I want to talk about what that really means in a very practical way, and then also what we can do to move forward. So that's what I'm hoping to cover. And then we can have this guy. If you want to stop me, just stop me. At any point, it's not a lecture here, okay? Uh, but you know, a little bit about myself. You know, how many? Anyone been to India here? Anyone? Probably everyone's seen pictures of India, right? Michelle has. Um, so India, if you think about uh, New York as like a melting pot, right? Or America, India is like an industrial furnace. Okay, I grew up in Bombay. Bombay is like New York on steroids. Um, and I grew up there until I was a young kid. Uh, and then I also grew up in a small village in deep south India where you have no electricity, no plumbing. Basically my grandparents were poor village farmers. Um, think about like the difference between Mississippi and New York, okay? So, or deep Mississippi, which is where my grandparents were. And then New York would be like Bombay, right? So I grew up in these very two different worlds. A lot of Indians don't even experience that. So I saw people with, who had nothing. You know, my aunt lived in a small hut. Um, and then I saw people with immense wealth, right? So I saw extremes in India. But India has a caste system, which some of you may have heard of, where people are put in to a caste based on not what they did, but, you know, their birth, right? So we were considered untouchables or deplorables, okay? Um, so the fact that my parents even made it to America was quite significant, and they're pretty incredible people. So we came here in 1970. Uh, we settled originally in Patterson. Anyone from New Jersey? Patterson, New Jersey. Uh, and so think about this very traditional Indian f family taking a little flight or long flight and coming to Patterson and then every year and a half my parents kept moving to the different school systems right so if you look at Patterson and then Clifton and then Persephone and Livingston the reason I gave you those four towns or if you look at the property taxes they keep increasing um, because in those days you didn't have school choice so my parents would save whatever money because Indians are really into education you know, <coughs> because they think education is the way you get freedom so by the time I was 14 I had finished up all my math courses, but I wasn't just a nerd. I also played baseball, I had a lawn mowing business. I was your typical American kid. Um, but I really wanted to achieve because I knew how much America had to offer. You see, because when I look back in India, it's like people had nothing. So I knew it was such a big fortune that my parents even made it here and all, all this country had to offer. So I really worked hard, not for me, but for everyone else who had very little. So I almost, as a, for some reason as a kid, I felt very mission-oriented, like I was given a lot, and if I didn't work hard, that it would basically, in some ways, that I'd be basically uh, doing something wrong. Do you know what I'm saying? Because you have so much that this country has to offer. So by the time I was 14, I finished calculus in the ninth grade. My high school has no other courses to offer me in math. So I got very lucky. I ended up getting an uh, opportunity to go to New York University as a 14-year-old kid. Uh, you, you said your son you know, went to this robotics program, similar to that. Mm -hmm. But this was in 1978, when a computer would probably fill up this entire room. 
And, but a professor at NYU knew that in the future America would need software engineers. So he had this vision, a very smart guy, who selected 40 kids um, uh, and they would get the rights to go to NYU and work in like, almost like a military-like boot camp for eight weeks where you learned seven computer programming languages. Anyway, so my dear mom would drop me off at 7 a.m. at the, 6 or 7 a.m. at the Newark Penn Station. I don't know if you've been there. And I would take, this 14-year-old kid would take the train in to um, New York. Most parents are afraid to send their kids down the street these days, you know? But I used to walk, go into New York as a kid, uh, graduated top of the class. You could do simple messaging. That's not what we're talking about. I was asked to convert that entire system to the electronic form. And I called that system email a term never used before in the English language, wrote 50,000 lines of code. And the reason I called it email was those days you could only have five characters for the application names. Anyway, uh, that was done, not at MIT, it wasn't done in the military industrial complex, but it was done in a small university in Newark, New Jersey. That's the important thing to remember, mm -hmm. that innovation doesn't need to occur at Silicon Valley, uh, but it could occur anywhere. Um, I, when I finished that, I got accepted to MIT, What's interesting was when I came to MIT, um, on the front page of MIT, it had listed you know three kids who had done something interesting, and I was one of them. But you see, I didn't care a lot about this stuff. I was pretty. Indians are very humble, you know, uh, so I never thought a lot about it. But what I was really interested in was medicine. Why? You see, my grandmother in that small village was a healer, uh, and uh, she worked 16 hours a day in the field. She was a poor farmer, but on weekends she could observe people's faces. She could predict what was going on in their body, and she'd come up with formulations. Now, this may seem like witchcraft, but typically most indigenous societies had their own methods of healing, right? You know, just like when people come to the spa, you guys can probably figure out a lot what's going on with people, right? Um, so that's what my grandmother can do. It, it's using a system of medicine. I was very interested in medicine. So I ended up going to MIT, uh, uh, and in fact, in 81, when I came to MIT, the president of MIT had heard about this invention I'd done, and he said, you know, it's too bad that people in Washington do not understand software. You see, 1981, they thought software was sheet music. They didn't know it was software, right, because it was such a new concept. So the only way you could protect software was through copyright, just like you protect a, a, a piece of music, etc. So the president of MIT said, Shiva, uh, you, should, you should get your software copyrighted. So, you know, I, my parents weren't lawyers, so I wrote away to the copyright office, there's no PDFs, no internet, they send you their form, filled it out, submitted all the 50,000 lines of code, and on August 30th, 1982, a 18-year-old American kid, teenager, gets issued the first US copyright for email, officially recognizing me as the inventor of email. So I wrote the code, called it email, and what? I actually have the copyright, right? Forgot about it. Went to MIT, did four degrees in and out of there, started, as I was telling you, seven different companies, always very interested in medicine. Um, in, as Michelle mentioned, in 2003, I came back to MIT to do my PhD because a new field was coming called systems biology. And systems, because what has happened in medicine is, you see the whole field of medical research was, whenever they look at the body, they don't see it as a whole system. So if you go to your doctor and you say you have a headache, the doctor may send you to five specialists, right? A neurologist, a psychologist, endocrinologist, etc. They don't see the body as a system. So around 2003, the, uh, what was occurring in medicine was something revolutionary. People were recognizing that we got to treat the whole body as a system, and a new field emerged called systems biology. So I came back to MIT, and as Michelle shared, I created a new invention called Cytosol, which helps us 
model the human cell on the computer so we don't need to do kill as many animals right we don't need to do all this long testing and that's what we've done we've created a new technology just like email was revolutionary where we can model complex diseases from pancreatic cancer alzheimer's so that's what i do as my day job um, and 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 you know we built that out into a company now in 2011 something very interesting occurred my dear mom was dying of a horrible disease called pulmonary fibrosis. I don't know if you know that your lungs get scarred you about three months to die. And so 35 years later, in a suitcase, my mom had uh, put into that suitcase all the stuff from 1978. You know, all the computer code, the copyright, et cetera, which I'd forgotten about. Um, and the editor of Time Magazine came by and he wrote an article, which you can see online, called A Man Who Invented Email. This is November 2011. And um, the Smithsonian, if you know, is a big museum, uh, contacted me and they said, Dr. Iduri, we want all your materials. So on February 16, 2012, it all went into the Smithsonian, which was a big day to honor, right? I mean, it's, it's essentially the epitome of the American dream. Now, the interesting thing would, would be you would think the day it went in should be a cause for celebration. It went in, a Washington Post reporter wrote this great article called Shiva Iduri Honored as the Inventor of Email. But that's when you see this amazing reaction of what I call the deep state. Why? Um, Gawker Media, everyone heard of them? Mm -hmm. uh, Gawker Media is the one that, remember they did the posting with Hulk Hogan? Um, they, set up, they set up a sex video of him and then he sued and he won 130 men. So Gawker Media immediately jumps on us and says this guy's a A-S-S-H-O-L-E, a fraud, all sorts of horrible names. This curry-stained Indian should be beaten and hanged. How dare this guy take credit for the invention of email? Because during those 35 years that I didn't promote the invention of email, the military-industrial-academic complex, everyone remember that term? Eisenhower, uh, President Eisenhower was a great president. After he left office in 1961, if you see, he gave a very famous speech. He said, be, he told Americans to be, beware of the military-industrial complex, which today we call the deep state. Um, he was a Republican. Uh, about s seven or eight years later, uh, Senator William Fulbright gave another speech called the Military-Industrial-Academic Complex, where he included academia. In fact, the first speech Eisenhower gave had the word academia, but the guy who wrote a speech was an academic and he deleted the word academia. Okay? But what they were talking about was that there was a collusion between massive big weapons manufacturers, right? Defense contractors, big people, uh, big academia like Harvard, right? Big universities and big corporations like Monsanto. And that triangle uh, was more interested in themselves than the country, right? Um, people like Kennedy actually brought this out. We were talking about it. That, uh, but other, Eisenhower brought it out, right? So Eisenhower waited until he got out of office to talk about it. Um, but that industrial complex has created a narrative. You see that um, all great innovations must come from war and sickness. Think about it, right? So uh, if you look at the history of innovation, uh, they have essentially taken over that concept. So when my stuff went into the Smithsonian, the fact that a 14-year-old kid in Newark, New Jersey invented email, you see it doesn't compute for these people who want to bamboozle Americans and brainwash us into thinking you've got to go to MIT or Silicon Valley, get your degrees, and then you're able to innovate. Everyone following what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It's a very deep narrative. But the fact that a 14-year-old kid in Newark invented email that throws a wrench into that because it, it, what it shows is that innovation can occur anytime, any place by anybody, and war is not the motivation. That's what the deep state wants. The deep state wants people to be spending time with war and sickness because that's how they control people. So the invention of email, what you see is 
the instant it went into the Smithsonian, it was like a skull was found in Africa, a new skull, so you have to rewrite the history. That's what happened. And you'll see, here I've been on the front page of MIT for many other things, inventing Cytosol, Echomail, but the day it went into the Smithsonian, it created this huge flurry of people trying to destroy my reputation. You'll see it on the internet. And I couldn't find anyone to defend me. Finally, when Hulk Hogan, this is how the world is very weird. Hulk Hogan had sued Gawker, because they put out a sex video of him, and he won a $140 million lawsuit. I found the lawyer four years later, and we sued Gawker, and not only did we win about a million dollar settlement, which was, you know, doesn't pay back for all the reputation, but we put Gawker out of business, and I was put as the head of the bankruptcy committee to sell Gawker. So it's a very interesting karma that came. But the deeper issue here was that um, where does innovation come from? What is innovation? Right? To me, innovation is the center of what the founders of this country were all about. Think about who Franklin was, an innovator. Uh, Jefferson, architect, even Washington, he was a surveyor. The founders of this country were innovators. They all had jobs, and I mean blacksmiths, engineers, I don't mean just innovators. They all had jobs, they weren't politicians, and they never ever thought about people being career politicians, right? That's why they never wrote it in the Constitution. They never, they never would think that someone would want to go serve as a politician for all their lives, right? Because they all, they, their goal was, we're going to create a country where people stand up on their own two feet, create things, solve problems, and do work, and, and government was a service. But the invention of email, that reaction that you saw, was a military-industrial complex. That's what it was, because it wants to create an environment that only a few people can innovate. Everyone else is stupid, they're the only ones who are smart. By the way, anyone who invented TV? 14-year-old boy in Franklin, Idaho. Philo Farnsworth, look him up. Same conditions. And what that tells you is that we have a lot of smart people in this country, but the elites in this country have created this story that they know better. And this is, this, that's what Elizabeth Warren's about, right? They think they know better, but frankly, I, I know you know better, right? Everyday people, everyone in this room, every day we get up, every day we have to solve a hundred different problems, right? We don't need government telling us what to do. So they've created a narrative that you need this centralized government. All right, so what is the deep state? What is it? You've, you've heard the term, right? I'll tell you my definition of it. The deep state is everything that's against being human. You see, when you go back to the history of humans, I, I, I think you guys know our slogan says, only a real Indian can defeat the fake Indian, right? That's what it says, right? But everyone laughs, everyone, or, uh, or someone, some people get angry, right? But the, 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 the power behind that slogan is this, because the reason, only a real Indian can defeat the fake Indian is because I'm a real American, just like all of you. And what are real Americans about? We're about solving our own problems, right? And it's also about indigenous people. If you go back to the original Indians, if you go back to indigenous cultures, be it the Icelandic or the Vikings or Dravidians in India, everyone solved their own problems. It was local, right? Like this local community. People came together, they had local healers, local doctors, local farms. It was always local. It wasn't this big centralized state, right? So those in the deep state have created this centralized power because they want to tell us how to do everything. And once, once we give away our power to that, what you have is you have a few set of people uh, undermining the tenets of what, what we all stand for. And that's what's happened. And so the Democratic establishment and the Republican establishment collude to do this. 
And that's why they've created political parties, right? So in order to run, you need to raise tons of money, right? But the reality is when you actually look at where all the money goes, and we've looked at it, that's why I'm running as an independent, most of it goes to their own guys. So for every dollar they raise, 90% goes to their own people, right? So they've created a racket out of running for office, and this was nothing to do with the founders of this country. So, you know, our slogan is declare your independence from all of this. So what we believe we need to do is we need to have clean government, number one. We need to handcuff these guys. Number one, term limits. 80, 90% of Americans believe in term limits. And the Supreme Court vote, ruled against term limits. Yet those guys have no term limits, right? It's amazing. It's anti-democratic. Um, second thing, we, second thing is I'm gonna is real health. You know, in all the Obamacare and Romney care debates, <coughs> no one talks about one central thing is that prevention, right? Uh, no one talks about prevention, and no one talks about the fact that we've destroyed the local healer. We don't have local doctors anymore. You know, we've lost 250,000 local doctors. My sister, you know, went to Harvard Medical School. The amount Obamacare and Romneycare put so much regulations, no one can practice locally, so you have to go join a big hospital. You got four years undergraduate, then you have four years medical school, and another two to four years. So you have about a million dollar loans. Well, solution. We need to eliminate the need to go to four years undergraduate. Every other country does that. We need to have more local, you know, one-on... Healing takes place when a doctor actually has time to look at you, right? Um, the other thing is the entire piece in Massachusetts, I don't know if you know, for every 17 skilled jobs, <coughs> openings, we only have one person who's skilled. So think about that. So we don't produce enough high-tech uh, uh, trained people for the 21st century. And yet we have all these big institutions, right? And the racket is the big institutions, Harvard, for example, is frankly really not a university. It's a fake university. Seriously. It's a hedge fund. They have, if you look at them, actually, $2 billion is what they spend for their overhead, but they have $40 billion. They run it like a Wall Street investment fund. Last year, they paid their guys $58 million on their hedge fund uh, bonus fees. Yet Harvard gets our federal grants. They get to patent our stuff. They should be taxed. I mean, taxed like every other Wall Street hedge fund. But yet Elizabeth Warren has said nothing against uh, Harvard, right? By the way, Mitt Romney went there. Charlie Baker went there, right? All of these guys go there. So my view is, in some ways, Harvard is a sewer that feeds a swamp. And the elite academic institutions uh, need to be busted up, in my opinion. They're part of the deep state. So you'll start seeing on our website, we're going to start exposing them. Amazon. Think about it, right? They've destroyed local businesses, yeah. right? These are, again, things that uh, get so clever at industrializing um, and mechanizing. That doesn't mean it's healthy for us. Google and Facebook, part of the deep state, right? The politicians in Washington have no idea how powerful Google and Facebook have become. They don't even operate on time and space anymore. They operate on a hyper level. And you've just started seeing stuff come out on Facebook. But every transaction we do is observed. So we have a solution for that, right? Seven years ago, I said, you know, the local postal service, you have one right here? They were an amazing institution set up by Franklin where each one of us could send a letter at the lowest cost. Up until 1970, nearly 70% of the mail was political mail. And if I sent you a letter and anyone intervened in it, 20 years in federal prison, right? So the Postal Service has all these laws to protect communication, but we all signed up to free email, right? Mm -hmm. Well, Google owns, we, we lost our freedom. So one of my solutions is the Postal Service has the opportunity to actually offer a public email service, 
which will be protected by the laws of the United States. Yeah. We need to bust up basically Facebook and Google. They have, they're, they're too big. They should, they should become public utilities in my way. The amount of control that they have is beyond the level they, that they should have. But you see the problem is politicians don't understand technology and we need people who actually understand what they're doing. And I think that's what this campaign has to offer. The last thing I want to end on is two things, immigration and the Second Amendment. You know, everyone's been talking about, you know, the school shootings and gun violence, et cetera, right? It's a hot topic. But I think if you really look at it, the deep state is one of the most violent organizations, right? They send poor whites, poor blacks to go fight wars all over the world. And yet no one, I don't see a lot of kids protesting that, right? The fundamental issue that we have now is you have to separate the violence of the deep state from these mass shootings. The reality with these mass shootings is that it's, it exemplifies that the deep state, this is where we are in history now, the deep state has gotten so complex and so intertwined. It's like you ever open up a phone closet and you see all these wires? That's what they've created. They don't even know how to solve problems anymore. You follow what I'm saying? They've created problems like <laughs> opioid addiction. They've created problems like the mass shootings. And they've created problems to veterans. And they have no idea how to solve them because these problems are so complex now. And the only way to solve these is us as human citizens taking control back at the local level. So if you take the issue of violence, I mean, the mass shootings, if you actually look at the data, most of this is kids without any family structure anymore. Look at it. I mean, no one wants to talk about this. You think just because you take away assault weapons, it's going to stop that. It isn't. Right? You, don't ha you have the fact that a lot of drugs are out there, psychotropic drugs. You have the fact that people don't feel in communities anymore. And uh, there's no infrastructure at that level. That's a problem that deep state cannot solve. Only we as people can solve that. So I'm trying to say we need to develop power. You take the opioid addiction. Mitt Romney made three quarters of a billion dollars on the opioid addiction. Are you guys familiar with what he did? He aggregated all the methadone clinics for $750 million and then flipped it and for $1.5 billion. So these guys now run swamp economies. You know, they, want to, they don't really want to solve opioid. We have a guy on our staff, a doctor, who helped 250,000 patients over 20 years. Right now, if you do methadone and any of the other rehab, it's 98% of recidivism. He brought it down to 50%. Martha Coakley threw him in prison because his method actually worked. There's a movie coming out on this. So these guys don't want to solve any problems because they're actually making money off opioid addiction. Let's go to immigration. You know, my parents came here uh, on, you know, before my parents could come here, they had to submit their resume. They had to get reference letters. I don't know if you know this in the 70s. They had to prove that they could even come to the United States, that they could sustain themselves, right? It was an honor to come to the United States. Well, both parties actually like illegal immigration because they get votes out of them. They don't want to solve illegal immigration. And all the huge corporations like it, because that's how they've been making their profit. One thing you don't see on their expense line is how little they pay those people. So these problems are deep state problems that they do not want to solve. And the only way we're going to solve them is by sending a message to them. And our campaign is about declaring your independence. Think about this. An MIT guy who came from nothing, one of you, right? I'm one of you guys, you know? A real American who came here with nothing, Work, still works, you know, I still get up at five in the morning and work until midnight. I still work, you know, separate from our campaign. Um, that's the kind of people we need in there. Us beating Elizabeth Warren and the Republican establishment is going to send a wave, I believe. And we can do it. You asked how we're going to do it, right? 
In this election, 2.3 million people will vote. Every midterm election, 2.3 million people vote. Every presidential election, 3 million people. Well, we need 900,000 votes to win. Massachusetts is 2.3 million independents registered, 1.5 million Democrats, 492,000 Republicans. So is this a red state or a blue state? It's a red, white, and blue state, okay? That's what it is. It's an state of independence. And right now, people are voting for Elizabeth Warren because it's toxic to have an R next to your name for whatever reason, right? So it's not like they really like her. And I've been out on the ground. People don't really like this woman. So the opportunity is our campaign represents an alternative to that. And we're an alternative in many ways. So uh, Trump's winning, in closing, what I want to say was something significant. No one's ever seen anything like this. Here's a guy who's attacking the media, attacking the Republicans, attacking the Democrats. No one thought he would win, right? Remember that poll? 93% Hillary, 7% Trump. I don't know if you've seen that graphic, right? Yeah. And the reason he won was because the majority of poor whites in this country are being devastated. Yes, minorities get hurt, but no one wants to talk about the infant mortality rates among poor whites is explosively growing, their amount of opium. No one, is no one was addressing the interests of the real people in this country. The elites in Hollywood and the elites in, in academia thought all oh, these people are just quote-unquote rednecks, right? Well, the reality is there's a lot of problems that do not get addressed. We have the highest income inequality ever in the history of this country. And guess where they are? They're literally in a, uh, always in a two-mile radius of where all the innovations, quote-unquote, innovations taking place. Mm -hmm. If you look at the one mile around Kendall Square, a lot of wealthy people, three miles away, guess what the average net worth of a black person is? Eight bucks. And meanwhile, the liberal, quote-unquote, liberals talk about how they're helping integrate people. It's nonsense. So, the, in conclusion, what I want to say is the deep state is being devastated. They don't know how to solve their problems. And they never will. So I think what their decision is to congeal even more. And that's what you're saying. So in my view, Trump's winning. Forget about him as an individual, whether you like him or not. But his winning was a necessary disruption. And whether he does anything, I think it's a huge victory his winning has done. Because it's opened up opportunities for us to have this kind of discussion. Because before they call you a conspiracy theorist, right? You couldn't even talk about it. But now we can. So I think, look, guys, this campaign is not, it's, it's like I'm insignificant to this. I just happen to be a person who came to this country at a certain time. This country is an amazing country and we have to cherish what we have here. And uh, that's why I'm doing this. I'm doing this because I love this country. I love what this country has always stood for, hard work, meritocracy. And these guys don't care about that. They all do insider trading. You know, Elizabeth Warren lied to get into Harvard, right? <coughs> lies about helping the small guy. You know, hangs out with her uh, Wall Street billionaires. Dodd-Frank destroyed most of the uh, 1,200 community banks got destroyed. Uh, Obamacare, Romney cares destroyed the local doctor. It's all reliance on the big guys, and that and the big guys cannot solve opioids. They cannot solve immigration. They can't solve these problems. They have no solution. They just can't. So the only solution is us. And we need to declare our independence. That's why I'm running. And I think we have a huge opportunity here. We have a, a historic opportunity, not only to win, but inspire everyone across this country. Everyday people should be involved in governance. You know, not these career politicians. We should vote all of them out of office. They don't deserve us. Thank you. I'll take questions, you know? Yeah. 
Funny when you said that about Trump. I was watching something, I think it was on Fox. Yeah. Before the election. And there was an analyst, I forget from where, but I think it goes right to what you said. He goes, you know, a lot of the people in the country are going to vote for Hillary. A lot of people are probably going to vote for Trump. But there's a large segment of the population that just wants to take a hand grenade, throw it into both houses of Congress and blow it up. Mm -hmm. I was watching that. <laughs> yeah. That was me. Yeah, I'm, I'm right. I'm, you're right. at. And that's, so we're at a really, really exciting time in human history right now. I yeah. think that you're going to have a hard time running as an independent. I, I always say that because all the times I've been, it's usually the Republicans get so much of a percentage, the Democrats get so much of a percentage, and the poor little independent guy down there is one or two percent, and that has never ever changed. Have you ever considered the fact that maybe you should change your philosophy instead of running as an independent? Go to, say, Republican? Uh, well, let, let me answer this way. I bet you 10 years from now, look, I've always been uh, an innovator, right? Everything I've done, email people thought it was impossible. Cytosol, people think, oh, how can you model? To me, bringing innovation into politics is what we need to do. Mark my words, 10, 15 years from now, we're going to see at least 30, 40% of candidates running independence and potentially winning or much higher chances. Let me tell you why. Uh, in, so let me tell you why I decided to run independent. When I, you know, I never voted in my life until Trump ran because I never liked either party. When I was an undergraduate at MIT, there was a guy called Jesse Jackson. Remember him? Yeah. He ran, you know, we as young idealists thought he was an anti-establishment candidate. And if you remember, at the last minute, he takes all of his votes and he gives it to Mondale. I don't know if you remember this. Remember this? So that's when I realized that there were three dynamics in history. The establishment, then everyday people who are people out on the street who protest and fight, like civil rights and women's. All these things didn't come from politicians. They came from people, workers, movements, etc. And then you had something called the not-so-obvious establishment. Okay? People who talk a good game but exist to funnel votes right back into the establishment. So if you look at the last election, um, Hillary Clinton was the establishment. Was really fascinating to watch was how all of them came around here, right? The Bushes, the Romneys. It was fascinating, right? Mm -hmm. And over here was the agent of change, Trump. And in between him was a not so obvious establishment. Remember who that was? Bernie Sanders. The only independent that I can think of that. But he's not an independent. He's a fake. He's, a, he's, he's part fake. of these. He, he's fake. He's, yeah. he's in what I call the not so obvious establishment, okay? What happens is the establishment is very clever. And, and take this away, is they always create this other element which talks a good game, but at the last minute brings everyone back into the establishment. That's Bernie Sanders. So in Massachusetts, so when, when Trump won, uh, when Trump, uh, when I saw Trump, first time I registered to vote, and then when he won, I was invited to the inauguration. I said, I'm gonna register as a Republican run. Cause you know, the Democrats, you know, I don't, cause I knew they were complete sellouts, right? Okay. Within three months of running, we were going to all the Republican town committees. Cause in Massachusetts, to get on the Republican ballot, you need 10,000 signatures plus you need 15% of the people who attend the Republican convention, which occurs in April. Okay, so that's, you gotta get the 10,000 signatures plus that. How do you get those 15%? You gotta go to all the Republican town committees, there's 351 of them, tell the delegates who will come to vote for you. Well, we were going out, I think we went to like 80 of them, right? Standing ovations, everyone loved us. The Mass <coughs> GOP never invited me to even talk to them. My attorney, whose friend raises a ton of money for them. He goes, how come you haven't invited Shiva? Well, finally they invited me and they, and, and they got around a room. You know what their first question was? They harassed me why I voted for Trump. They said, why'd you vote for Trump? That's the mass GOP. Mm -hmm. So 
they then we found out into this journey that about four years ago when Charlie Baker ran, there was a guy called Mark Fisher who ran against him. Engineer, self-made millionaire. He went to the convention, he had his 10,000 signatures, he had 30% of the delegates. Guess what happens at the convention? He gets 14.9%, okay? They were shredding ballots in the back room. I mean, it was like a third world, what you think happens in third world countries. He sued and eventually, uh, I think they did about a million dollar or a quarter of a million dollar settlement. So they, the swamp has also gotten smarter. They'll never let another guy like Trump ever come, I swear to God, they won't. Because they, they are also congealing. So a guy like me, it's a threat because I don't fit their mold. They, the head of the Republican Party, Ron Kaufman, he said, Shiva, never say anything against Democrats. What I'm trying to say is these guys are in collusion. They, they, they don't want to beat Warren. Right now, they're running, the Republicans are running the campaign to raise money for their coffers. So they're using all the anti-Warren sentiment just to raise money. So they're going into it not wanting to defeat her. They have a, they have a collusion with her. Yeah. So when I say I want to defeat her, I actually want to defeat her because I don't owe any linkages or favors. But I'm saying there is a way to do this if you recognize that 2.3 million independents. And I've looked at the data. I'm a math guy, right? So uh, uh, independents go this way or this way. And the reason they've been going this way or this way because they don't have an alternative. And our campaign is about giving them an alternative. Look, before I was polling at 28% with Warren even after we announced that the Republican was at 30%. Right now, they're so afraid of our campaign, they don't even want to give us any visibility. The Boston Globe put the other three candidates, two of them who hadn't even announced, and leaves my picture out. The Globe, the Liberal Globe. Yeah. So I tweeted out, racist Boston Globe leaves the darkie out. Okay? Yeah. So it went viral. Because you got to hit them, right? Right between the eyes. It went viral, and the editor of the Globe calls me at home. He goes, why'd you call me a racist? I said, Jim, you are a racist. I said, you put the three white guys. I said, you left the dark-skinned Indian guy out. What do you want me to call you? He goes, well, my intern forgot. Okay, we go to the mm. Boston, we go to the St. Patrick's Day Parade. We had our bus. They don't want to let us in. Warren and Walsh don't want to allow us in. The Trump guy who had the permit allowed us in. Well, you can see the video on my Twitter, people cheering us. It was amazing. Yeah, half a million people. People, I mean, these were South Boston, you know, quote unquote, white people. Why are they supporting this Indian guy? Well, because they know what I'm telling is the truth, right? So it's not black or white. So as the, our bus is going, you know, my friend is watching everything from home. You know, he sees a parade. The army group was in front of us, a pirate group some behind us. Guess what NBC, Nesson does? They point the cameras down when our bus comes. It's a, it's a brownout, I call it. <laughs> well, my point is that, so we know we're hitting at a court, and, and I was just telling you guys, uh, we have our bus parked in our lot, which says only a real Indian can defeat the fake Indian. So yesterday we get a notice from the city of Cambridge saying that they're going to start fining us $300 a day and legal action. Before, the slogan was Shiva for Senate, be the light, you know, something innocuous. So it's going to be a good fight. But the problem is they don't know that I've been fighting all my life. I came here with nothing. There's a picture of me burning the South African flag on the steps of MIT. I fought for food service workers. I exposed Monsanto. So they don't know that they have a for formidable opponent. I'm not like a good Indian, you know? <laughs> you know, who shakes his head and sits in the lotus position, right? I'm an American. How easy is it to get on as an independent? We need 10,000 signatures. That's why if you, we'll get on, we'll get on the ballot. The cool thing is we get on the ballot, the Republicans have to get the signatures and they have to do a primary. 
So our goal is to get on the ballot ASAP and then pound away at Warren. She's our enemy. Mm -hmm. Let the Republicans fight among themselves. Yeah. But for the 2.3 million independents that are registered, you say, how many of them actually vote every... every uh, so, uh, it, so it's a great question. Because so, that's what you need, right. along with people that are going to swing if they're Republican. Ex exactly. So it's a great... So just to give you the math, 4.3 million registered voters in Massachusetts. Total registered voters. But out of them, um, in a typical election, like in a presidential year, 3 million will vote. But in a midterm, only 2.3 million will vote. Okay? So the issue is how many of the independents come out. From our estimates, about one million will come out. One million independents will come out, uh, close to probably uh, 300,000 Republicans will come out, and another million um, Democrats will come out on a good day. But it's typically more independents, probably like 1.2, et cetera. In Massachusetts. In Massachusetts. It add, it'll add up to 2.3 million. Okay. Right. So, so what I'm saying... What's that? You need to hand a home to the independents as well to right. get out and vote. Because exactly. Do all of them actually get out and vote every uh, of that? Well, well that's election. how many people will vote. So out of the 2.3 million independents, uh, a little bit less than a half will vote. About 1.1 million will vote. Do they vote for the independent candidate? Though? No, they. No, what I'm saying is yeah, they've never. The they, they've never been offered an alternative. Mm -hmm. Well, independents have run. They have, but these guys were really not an alternative. You know. Right. So that's why I'm saying we're running not in an independent party, but running as in. But I have a lot of. Go look at my Twitter followers. Debbie knows. You know, we have close to 300,000. My closest Republican guy has maybe, I think, 40,000. I have 300,000 Twitter and Facebook followers. So we built up a mass following, you know? I was going to say, to me, you would have to get your name out there because I just. Exactly. Who is this guy we're going to go see? She's, she guys. I said, who the hell is she? I've never heard of you. Right. So if I have you, you, you hit it on the head. If I have, if I haven't heard of you, then how many other people have not even heard yeah. of you? So you have got to get that exposure. Exactly. Out there. You hit it on the head. Visibility equals votes. Mm -hmm. yeah, so that's exactly. why the mainstream media does. They're afraid of us. They don't want to give us visibility. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So the way we're going to do it is the ground game. And I'm not, but we have a pretty good strategy on how to do this. But it's really a ground game. It's one on one. It's mm -hmm. this what we're doing right here. Awesome. Yeah. Dr. Shiva, what about the new tax um, for small business owners, or for all business, if you have five or more employees, any on mass health, you pay an additional tax on their wages? And it's supposed to be for two years, but I think we all know that once something comes, yeah. in this, it doesn't go away. Yeah, so, so here's my view on taxes. So, you know, the, the tax law that they pass, some of the stuff is quote-unquote good, but they didn't really hit the real nail like that one for really helping small businesses. My view is that um, we should really support small businesses. They should basically have to pay very little because the amount, I mean, look, I run a small business. You do. It's a massive amount of effort to run in one of these small businesses. We should give as much tax credits as possible. The, the big thing with taxes is I believe in fair tax, right? So anyone who's actually contributing to income, we should get their taxes as low as possible. But there's a thing called consumption tax, right? Um, so if, I don't know if you know, like Trump wants to do this thing called the gas tax. You heard about it? Because basically he says that um, there's a whole theory about taxation, right? That, it, you know, the, the real model of taxation, if you want to go, go back to good old Americana, was you want to uh, support those people, want to save money, right? We're very resilient, right? You want to create a savings economy in many ways. That's what makes good economies, right? Not like spending on debt all day. So we've created an economy where we, we incentivize people to spend on debt. And that's why we have a $20 trillion debt. Um, 
so the, the other model is people who start using certain public services, like consumption tax. So some of those, Ron Paul talks about this, some, some of his stuff is headed in the right direction. It's called fair taxation. So small businesses, I would argue that we should be having no income tax, especially if you're producing you know, a significant amount of income, that you should really go to a consumption-based model. So I disagree with the whole thing that they did with the taxes on that. And, I, it, and it will never go away. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, it's, not the, it's not the right model. But think about Harvard, okay? Harvard is a $40 billion hedge fund. Everyone know what a hedge fund is? Anyone know? S simple thing is, you and I can get together, we create a hedge fund, we go to all of you guys, say, give us your money, we'll invest it. So he and I go invest it in real estate, diamonds, blah, blah, blah. And whatever profit we make, we give you guys 80% and we get to keep 20%. Okay? That's a hedge fund. That's what Harvard is. They take student tuition, they get donor money, and they invest. It's a $40 billion hedge fund. If, if we did it as a for-profit, we typically pay 20% tax on the profit. You know how much Harvard pays? Zero. They pay zero. And they're running essentially a scam. And that's how Elizabeth Warren gets paid. They're part of Wall Street. So if you tax a 20, that last year they made $7 billion. That's $1.4 billion in taxes that these guys get. What do they do? They devastate the area of Cambridge, right? They chase all the East Cambridge people out, and then they talk about how great they are, right? Helping inclusivity and diversity and equality. So I think these big universities, these big endowments need to be taxed the hell out of because they've been getting away with murder. And you take that money and we support Votech schools. We don't have enough Votech schools in this country. We don't train enough people with skills anymore. <coughs> Interesting story. Do you know the average grip, the grip strength of a young millennial now is half of what it was a generation ago? Just physical strength. Seriously. We're creating people who are frankly not as skilled, not as strong, and are gonna be gonna be devastated. So we need to get back to like fundamentals. Do you have a skill, right? Mm -hmm. And the student loan companies, think about all these tuition companies, they keep raising the tuition, and then over here the student loan companies give them loans. And it's really not a student loan, because if you're a student, the money never goes to you. It goes right from the student loan company to the university. It's really a university pickpocket, right? Mm -hmm. And the universities keep raising their, and then they never discuss uh, with the student, so if I'm a, if I'm a student, if I, if I, if you guys are small business and I'm going to give you a loan, what do I do? I say, give me your business plan. Let me see where you're going. And I say, you know what? Your business is not going to go anywhere. You're, hey, your business is going to do well. I'm going to loan you money. Why? I make those decisions because if your business fails, you have the right to go bankrupt. So they're giving student loans out and the students cannot go bankrupt. It's indentured servitude. I'm not saying we should be ir irresponsible, but they've created a racket. 17 year old kid is signing a piece of paper and he's indentured, and the universities make off. So we should take that away. Absolutely. That's one of my biggest complaints to my wife, how these colleges get away with what they do. Yeah. The government throws money at these 17-year-old kids. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Everything's free. You know what happens when they get out of school? Five years, they owe $1,223.80 on the 17th. Exactly. Now, if they make nothing, they still owe whatever number I And they say. can't go bankrupt. And that's the thing. Right. I, I mean, they, and with their accountability of the colleges, nothing. Right. What do you get for that money? You, you know, you get a degree. I get, you know, the state schools. I mean, 
It's ridiculous. Yeah. And they get, with impunity, they get away with it. Right. Matter of fact, I called Senator Warren's office on that topic. I never got an answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did, because I want to know, I want to know, what is she doing about colleges that are killing these poor kids? Do you know what the, how Harvard works? 30% of the admissions is legacy admissions. So if you donate money, you'll get in. So what, what I'm saying is it's a racket. Oh, yeah. And the thing is, at, as someone who's gone through all that, I know all their racket. Same with NIH research. All the medical research is a racket. They never really solve cancer. They don't want to solve cancer, Alzheimer's, because the way they do this is if you're a professor, you get funding. Okay? And the way the funding works is they don't send it to state colleges. It's a few set of people keep circulating the money around the top 10 institutions. Mm -hmm. mm. Anyway, think about my campaign as a platform that's gonna just jar the hell out of these people. It's like being a full-time troll on them every day and night. Can't wait to see the debates. Huh? Can't wait to see the debates. Right. I can't, I can't either. You, you, so, you, so, the, so the thing is, you hit it on the It's visibility, visibility, visibility. That's what our campaign needs to be about. And that's why we need to get out there. That's why only a real Indian can defeat the fake Indian. <laughs> I hope you do. Yeah. But we're the only ones who want to. Remember that. We're the only ones who actually want to take her out. But don't you think also with the student loans, it's, going to, it's creating another crisis? Yes, $1.8 million bubble. Because now it's not only going to affect them personally right. in a host of levels, but it's going to affect the housing market. Yeah. They're not going to be able That's to buy a home. Mm -hmm. They're not going to be able to do any of those yeah. things. They have all this debt, and we're going to see another housing crisis. Yeah. The biggest thing we need to do is we need to go back to fundamentals. If you are a human being, you need to have a skill. <laughs> you I'm need a to be. Grad, by huh? the way. I'm a Votech grad. Yeah, well, yeah. Every, look, I, I, when I went to that NYU, I was a Votech. I learned a program. I didn't need to go to MIT, you know? MIT, m many of these big institutions, it's a scam. What they're doing is they're getting the best kids out of the public school system, and they just, give, they just stamp them. In fact, it's a racket. I mean, my, uh, MIT was very fortunate to get me, frankly. My high school teachers who got paid nothing produced me. Mm. You see what I'm saying? So that's what's really going on. They're, they're, they're basically giving these sheepskins out. Uh, but at a certain point, I, I mean, it's a longer discussion, but I decided to get them because I wanted to use it as a weapon against them one day, and that's what I'm doing now. <laughs> yeah, did you? Did you have a question? Me? No. Yeah. <laughs> but but yeah, it's getting the, it's a 1.8 trillion dollar crisis that's going to hit, and then you have the municipal loans. But we got to go back to fundamentals, which means you have to have a skill. You have to actually make or produce something. We have people not making anything, producing something, right? So you can't and and but that's what politicians do. What do they do? They do nothing. What does a politician do? What does John Kerry know how to do? What is Elizabeth Warren's The lawyers' lobbyists, their entire business model is not to solve a problem. Ever, any, anyone ever hire a lawyer? Yeah. How do they make money? <laughs> Hourly. So you, you're always wondering, shoot, are they ever going to settle the case? <laughs> no, because they don't want to settle the case. It's not their business model. Engineers and plumbers and electricians, and we actually have to solve a problem or the guy's not going to pay our invoice, right? right. We, you know, you, you know, or we have to be, you know, someone, we have to give someone a refund. These guys don't have to do that. They don't deserve our vote. I'm saying vote them all out. They're horrible human beings. <laughs> they really are. They're really, really leeches. Who, who in Congress do you respect? I like Rand Paul. What, the reason I like him, there's uh, I like this guy Thomas Massey. Good guys. You know, I, I like Trump. The guys, I mean, whether you like him or not, go on a construction site. 
You got to be able to do 20 trillion things and figure stuff out. You know, you got to solve problems all day. He's moving way above anybody around him. Yeah, but, but I'm saying that. But what <laughs> I'm saying is, Massachusetts is supposed to be the center of education, right? Isn't it? Mm -hmm. And it's supposed to be the center where innovation occurs. Do you know why Mass number one Massachusetts is innovation, right? But look at the other side. Worst public infrastructure, 47th rated. Third highest in opioid addiction, and Massachusetts was rated as the worst corruption. Well, okay? Sure. That's brought to you by the swamp of Charlie Baker, Mitt Romney, Elizabeth Warren, <laughs> Democrats and Republicans. Well, what actually creates value here <coughs> is the high-tech, Votech workers. People actually do work. Right? That's who creates value. So why are we electing these guys? They know nothing. They don't know how to solve anything. They can't even solve, uh, you know, probably a lawnmower. It's all a racket, I'm telling you. <laughs> We, that's the mission here. It's to say, you know what? You can't fool us anymore. And that's what the Trump election was. It was about people saying, we're smart people, or we're not going to let you screw with us anymore. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Yeah. Like, you're not that smart. We're not going to listen to this BS. Yeah. None of it makes sense. That's the opportunity. <clears throat> yes, ma'am? What was your opinion on immigration? You started to say something. Oh, here's my opinion. I think we need to build a wall. Right? Here's the deal, right? If you don't, okay, so either you have a country or you don't have a country. I can't even believe this concept of sanctuary cities. Oh, I, know. I can't even believe this concept of illegal immigrants. I don't even know what the issue here is. Right. So, exactly. what's, the issue? what's the issue? The only, so whenever, you know, I had a mentor who told me when things don't add up, there's another agenda. Like, you ever be in meetings with people and you're, something doesn't add up, that means something else is going on. That something else is politicians wanting to get votes, yeah, period. Exactly. So you have 11 million illegal, I mean, look, the first time I went to vote, I go into the Belmont senior citizen, I brought my passport, I, they got, I said, I'm here to vote. They said, oh, where, what street address do you live in? 69 Sanko Road. That's it. I didn't have to show an ID. No, I know. Ridiculous. Unbelievable. Remember in the 70s when You're we used to send people yeah. to other countries because the third world was so horrible? Right? That's what this country has become. Yeah. How can you vote without a voter ID? This no. makes no right. sense. Right. How, how are people getting away with that? The only reason they're doing it is because that means the there's fraudulent votes. That means anyone can vote. It's ridiculous. Well, the so, so anyway, I believe in merit-based so merit immigration. Right? Yep. It's, it's, an, it's a privilege. To Every other country does that. Yeah. You can't go to India. on it. You have to apply for your visa. Can't you, go can't, to Canada. you can't go to Canada. I don't understand this nonsense. It's complete nonsense. Miri, but tell him you're an immigrant also from Ireland. Yeah. She, she's an immigrant. Yeah. I, I came here as a little girl, and um, I heard Trump talking about one of the things he was going to change was the chain immigration, Yeah. which is the way I actually got to come to this country because my great aunt came here, like as, an, as you said, an indentured servant in the early 1900s. Mm. So... My father came here after World War II, stayed here for a little while, went back and married my mother, and then came here in 1962. Mm. So he was already an American citizen, though. He needed a sponsor, right? But he had to have a sponsor who was his great aunt that lived in Somerville, Mass. Mm. So that's how we were able to come here. And I, we came here right on uh, the day after Thanksgiving, I think, on Friday, and I know he had a job on Monday. Mm -hmm. So I, re I remember that because I was old enough to realize what was going on. But, you know, I just, 
And they I'm not a, 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 a against immigration, and I it bothered me that Trump said that because I thought I could have never come here as a little kid, yeah. you know, in that fashion. But it was a legal way to immigrate. But I think the spirit of the bottom line is is this, right? The difference here is. Your father had a job, right? Yes. He had a job the day, it wasn't he was coming here to take advantage of this country. And my aunt was so I think saying, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I'm sorry, that no. if he didn't make good on the promise to do well, she was going to care for us. Yeah. So That's what I'm saying. You had some checks and balances. I, I think that chain immigration is to address this, this bigger issue. That is no longer the norm anymore that we were right. talking about, right? Because there are people at integrity, they, they, you know what I'm saying? Yes. So I think there's this other phenomenon that has developed where there are people essentially taking advantage of this country. And that's just a fact. I mean, hard, it's, it's, it's not a bad thing to work hard. I'm sorry. Like, I think, we, let me tell you what I think we should do. It's called the Citizen Exchange Program. <laughs> it may sound like a joke, but you should take all these people on welfare who are able-bodied, who actually can work and tell them you got one year and if because there are illegal immigrants who actually do work hard and say okay if you don't want to work hard you go back to Honduras and this person gets your position yeah. that's what we should do mm -hmm. because the the fundamentals of this are are you going to work hard or are you yeah. going to contribute to this economy so you have two problems going on there's a certain set of people who are just leeches off the economy they can work and then other people are working their butt off like you're doing, running a business, getting people here, paying insurance, figuring out how you're going to run a business, right? That's what this country was about. Let's go back to those fundamentals. Even communism, you've heard about communism? I don't know if you go read the actual works of like Lenin, no work, no pay. People forget that it's the, the leftist, the left actually ha doesn't even understand this. Right? If you don't work, you don't get paid. Now, it's assuming you can work and you're able-bodied, right? Obviously, there'll be certain people, veterans who've been, you know, we have to take care of people. We don't want to be an uncompassionate society. But if you can work, you know, and you're capable, then get to work. Mm -hmm. Work is healing. <laughs> you know, they, they, I don't know if you know the story, they took a bunch of manic depressives who had all these symptoms or all drugs, they took them away to a farm for, 90 days, you know, got them up at 4 in the morning, they worked a good day, all their symptoms disappeared. So there's something to be said about physical labor and working, you know, showing up, being in a community. And I think once you take that away, you really, really hurt people at a deep level. It's not right. You make too much sense. What's that? You make too much sense. We all make sense. And the only people who don't make sense are the people who are in this deep state, the people in these elitist institutions who think they, they're so smart, they're the ones who are the senseless people because they've gotten so wrapped up in their nonsense. They think they're better and smarter. Isn't that the idea of, of how government works? To make us sheep and then we no longer have, as a society, any control? Mm. That we just have, we're right. now de dependent on you. Not right. you in particular, but the government as a you. Right. That's why we say declare your independence. Declaration of independence, right? It was not only to declare your independence from King George or whatever. It was about you recognizing. We use the slogan, be the light. If you go back to the founders of this country, their spiritual philosophy was that there was a creator, right? And, our, and the creator probably created all these laws, gravity, and all these things. It wasn't. And our job was to use our mind and our brain to understand those laws. 
and we were supposed to be a co-creator with God, mm -hmm. which means we were supposed to stand up on our own two feet. Right. That's being a human being. When you take that away from people, you're making people beyond animals. Animals are much better. Make them something else. <laughs> so it's, it's really destructive, but that's what made this country great. What made this country great was people knew you could come here, you could work hard, right? It was based on meritocracy. My mom used to say in India you can get discriminated nine ways, but in India like, you know, three, but I mean America three, but still you could do well because you just had to work harder. Right? No, seriously, it's true. This country always had that thing, you could work hard. Mm. So anyway, you know, the way we need your help is you know, let you know. I, I love doing these talks. I, I can't tell you how much, Allison, that I appreciate what you guys have done here, and all of you for coming. Because this is this is what we need to do. We need to get back into our local communities. We need to have these discussions. People need to get angry. It's okay to get angry. It's good. You know, people need to get pissed off. They need to ask these career politicians, "What can you do? Like, what do you do for a living? Like, can you can you cut hair? <laughs> Seriously, do you can you you know do you know anything about electricity? Can you?" do any plumbing like what do you actually know and they know nothing and why are you telling me what to do how do they even know how to solve a bill in Congress they don't know anything it's all peripheral information that's why they need all these consultants they know nothing it's really horrible you know we should all get really really pissed off what, what do you think a reasonable term is term? I, I think look in my view if you serve two terms you know, like eight years maximum total in any position, whatever, mayor, this, that's it, you're done. Go back to work. Because what these guys do, they start local, they build their little mafia cliques, and then they do that to build their next cliques. It should be like, this. that's not what this is about. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's like jury duty, right? You go serve, and then you go back to work. This is not a way for you to make money. How does Marky go in with like no money, now he's worth like 15, 20 million? I mean, how do these guys do this? Right. Right? Same it's thing like with Maxine Waters. How she all, all of them. All of them, right? <laughs> because fact, what they Mackie was on today and he was outraged. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm saying. People should call these people out. You can't give them an inch. No, I know. They don't deserve it. They don't deserve diplomacy. They don't deserve our kindness because these people are not good people. They know what they're doing. They're like really, really bad, bad children. They really are. Mm -hmm. Anyway, thanks a lot. Any, any other questions? Thank you. Anyway, if you get time, just sign.